0: You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast, episode number 15. Today, I'm going to talk about preparing yourself for getting a mortgage. Probably as boring as it sounds. You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast with your host, Damien Fogg, making personal finance and investing easy to understand, less intimidating, and even bordering on fun. Keep it down. Hello everybody peeps. So as a lot of you hopefully are aware, one of my feathers in my cap, strings in my bow. Why would you have feathers in your cap anyway? How's that good? But anywho, one of the things I can do, let's just sort that, is help people get mortgages. So whether it's a buy-to-let mortgage, whether it's a development mortgage, or if it's a residential one for buying your own home. I've worked with lots of different people. The reason I got into it Other than the fact that I used to be a financial advisor, obviously went strong into the property route, doing the mortgage thing kind of ticks both boxes for me. So I get to be a numbers geek and a property geek. It's fucking great. But I do tend to work with both entrepreneurs as well as working professionals. And there's a few things that occasionally come up that you just think, "Mm okay, it's going to be, this is going to make it a bit more difficult. It's going to be a challenge. So far I've not been able to not find someone a mortgage but it might not be the best possible rate or the best possible mortgage out there because of a few different things. So I just thought I'd do a quick episode just to run through a few things that if you are thinking about getting a mortgage or you're thinking of remortgaging at some point, just some shit to keep in mind. So really just wanted to run through a couple of things I wrote a few of them down, there's about seven or eight different things that might give you an idea what you should be paying attention to. So first thing is make sure you keep your records all up to date. Now when someone's, in fact, while we're going through this, imagine you were in the position of the lender. So imagine somebody was coming to you and you had it for a start, but someone came to you and said, I'd like 200,000 pounds off you, please. Don't worry, I promise I'll pay you it back. Try and always put yourself back in that position and just think, well, what kind of shit would you want to know? So, keeping your records up to date, all you've got to do for that is keep your address history bang up to date. So, when you move house, whether you're in rented or you own it, just get utility bills in your name, bank statements, credit cards, electoral roll. Make sure you register wherever you move to. And it doesn't matter if it's back at your parents' house, you can still have most of you let's be honest, all of you, have a bank account. So even if you don't have utility bills in your name, you'll still have bank and credit card statements that are in your name. So just make sure every time you do move, all of your addresses move too. Now, I'm as guilty as most people of not really bothering with this. I've had shit in my parents' address name just because I don't get paper statements off them. So it's not made any difference. So I've just not bothered updating it. Sometimes that can be a pain in the arse, but because I've got literally thousands, it feels like, bank statements coming at me, I always keep at least a few of them bang up to date. But if you don't keep any of them up to date, you might come a cropper. So make sure you do that. The other thing, this is more from an earnings point of view, but, and I guess it applies more to the entrepreneurs amongst you, try and be consistent with your earnings. So if you do own your own business, whether it's as a sole trader or you're a contractor or you have your own limited company, that's not going to stop you getting a mortgage. What will make it a bit more difficult though is if you, well, first of all, if you've only been trading for less than a year, pretty much everybody is going to need at least one year's accounts. If you've got two years worth of accounts, you're looking much better. There's probably a few more lenders and then most of them won't ask for any more than three years worth of accounts. So if... Let's say you've currently got a job and it pays quite well and you're contemplating jumping over to becoming self-employed. Have a think. Do you have a mortgage already? Are you likely to want a mortgage in the next one, two, three years? And just play out what impact that's going to have. Feel free to give me a call or any other broker out there and just say, look, this is the plan. These are maybe the projected numbers. Maybe you've been doing it on the side for a while. So you've already had some accounting. But what people, what lenders get a bit concerned about is let's say you've done a part-time side job so you had your own business on the side for the past year and then you decide to go all in and make it your main source of income so the first year maybe you've only made two thousand pounds profit second year because you've got all in on it you've now made sixty thousand pounds profit on it well done you from a lending point of view they're thinking what the hell just happened Who is this person? Why have they gone from single-digit thousands to a big chunk of money? This is concerning. Now, that's not to say you won't find someone who'll lend. There are people out there, but they will need a lot more of an explanation as opposed to if you then applied the year after where you'd say maybe got, say, 2,000 in the first year, 60,000 in the second, 65 in the third. They will look at those last two years and say, well, okay, now it's consistent. It's not had a huge jump up that just gives them a bit more confidence that your income is stable, that it's going to be consistent going forward. Even though from your point of view, it's great that you've gone up from two to 60. If the next year you'd gone from 60 to 120, weirdly, that's going to frighten some of the lenders out there. It won't completely stop them from giving you money. Don't worry about that. But they might say, well, yeah, we're not going to take that 120 as your income will take an average over the past two years. Some will say over the past three years. So in which case you're looking at closer to, well, 60 to what, 90,000 might be the income that they use for you. So just the more consistent you can be with your income, the better. But just to be clear, that's not me saying you shouldn't try and grow your business. You should definitely do that. Now, one of the slightly awful things about getting a mortgage when you're self-employed is most people sensibly, try and minimize the amount of tax that they pay. So you put as many costs as you can through the business, whether it's, again, self-employed, sole trade, a limited company, wherever it might be. You try and minimize your profit so that you pay less and less tax. Makes perfect sense. When it comes to getting a mortgage though, a lot of them are going to look at that and say, well, show us what your net profit is for the past X number of years. That is what we will decide is your income. If you've put through loads of stuff that are costs, all that's doing is lowering your net profit and therefore lowering the amount of income that the lenders will use to calculate whether or not you can afford that mortgage. So for example, you might decide to put the cost of a car through a company. So yeah, arguably it's a tax efficient way of doing it. Obviously, depending on circumstances, all guff, but it might lower, let's say it's 500 pounds a month. It might lower your net profit by 6,000 pounds. If you'd done it the other way and had a higher £6,000 net profit, and then paid the £500 outside of the company, so through your own money then, weirdly, they'd see your income as £6,000 more and potentially would lend you more money. Now, yes, they would still take account of that £500 that you're paying each month for a car, but there's a good chance that when they go through the whole affordability thing, you would probably get more money doing it the second way, which is the less tax-efficient way it's a bit daft, but it is what it is. And again, knowing what your plans are in the future. So if you are thinking of buying a place in the next year or two, or if you're looking at remortgaging in the next year or two, have a conversation with a mortgage broker, have a conversation with your accountants, let them know what you're planning, because then they can start saying, well, okay, normally I would suggest you put this through as a cost because you can, but actually because you're trying to maximize your income for evidence purposes, let's not put that through as a cost. So it's all just about planning further ahead. Now, while we're talking about cars, a weird little thing that not all of them have, but quite a lot of lenders have, is if you have more car finance than your actual salary, quite a few of them will just instantly decline you. So that sounds as if it's very difficult to get into that position. But if you think about the balloon payments on quite a lot of higher purchase agreements, so let's say you buy... I don't know. What's the first car that comes to mind for me? A Range Rover. You're looking at probably I don't know eighty thousand pounds. Now you might put whatever twenty grand in. You'll have a forty thousand pound balloon at the end of it, and payments could be six hundred pounds a month. Because you're doing well, there's no issues with the deposit. There's no issues with paying it. But you've got forty thousand pounds in theory. Well, you've got what sixty thousand if you put twenty grand down. You've got 60 grand worth of debt. You're actually only servicing the 20,000 part, really, because it's a bloom payment for the last 40, and you probably have no intention of ever buying the car outright. So that 40,000 really is kind of neither here nor there. From a lender's point of view, though, they would look at that and say, well, you've got 60,000 pounds worth of car finance there. If you earn less than 60,000 for Quite a few lenders that would be an instant. Well, no, you've got too much car finance for your salary. So slightly weird thing there, but it's a, hap, but it's something to be aware of. Now, that's something you can pre-plan relatively short term. So if you are if you're in that situation where maybe you earn fifty thousand a year, but you've got sixty grand worth of balloon debt on a car, you can get rid of the car if you want. It will probably take a couple of months to show up on your credit file that that's then gone. And in theory, you could do that a lot sooner. So you could get rid of the car on the Monday, apply for the mortgage on the Friday. So long as there's some paperwork to say, yeah, the car debt has all been cleared or it's all been written off, whatever. Then you can, again, have that conversation with the lenders to say this is no longer an issue. Yeah, I mean, a fairly obvious one is... Try and keep your debt low, so unsecured lending, so loans, credit card debt, things like that. Try and keep it down. If it looks like you can't afford life without using credit cards and loans, that's a bit of an issue for them. But also having a decent percentage of your available credit unused. So if you're consistently, so let's say you've got £10,000 credit card limit and you're consistently sat at £8,000 in debt on it that concerns them. Two ways around that, either have less debt, so clear some of that money, so you can stay ideally under the 50%, so under 5000 in that case, or increase your credit limit. So probably not a sensible thing to do, probably go with that first option, but if you did increase your credit limit to 16000 then you're keeping within that 50%. Weirdly, they'd look on that better. The other thing is, I guess more of an attitude, but Just be prepared to answer a lot of questions. Everything you say, you're going to have to probably document in some way, shape, or form. And if you are a little bit different, so if you're outside of the normal parameters of you've got a job working for a big company, have done for 10 years, your salary's consistent, you know, if any of those things are slightly different, then they will ask some questions. And to be fair, reasonably so. Back in the day where you could just rock up and say, oh yeah, yeah, I earn 300 grand, self cert and nobody asked any questions, that's when everything went to hell in a handbasket. So the mortgage companies, the lenders, the brokers out there have got to be quite a lot more strict and arsey about what questions they ask and what answers and what form of answers you get back. So just be prepared for that. Yes, it's a pain in the arse, but it's a relatively short-term hassle thing, and you end up, hopefully... With either an investment property or a development project or a very nice new home for yourself. And so the last one then, I think it's the last one, is just be realistic with what you're hoping to achieve. If you earn £20,000 and you want a £400,000 mortgage, you're probably not going to get it. As a, It doesn't really work anymore, but it's still a good enough guideline. But you'd be looking at around the four and a half times your gross salary So if you earn 50,000 pounds, then it's gonna end up working out at around the 225,000 mark. Now, yes, there'll be quite a lot of movement there. There'll be people that lend 250, there'll be other people that won't lend more than 200. It comes down to your circumstance. If you've got dependents, children, adults, whatever, if you've got a crap load of debt, or if you've got none. So there's loads of other factors that go into it nowadays, and it's all based around what you can genuinely afford. But there's a very back of the envelope calculation it's a starting point. So if you know how much money you've got saved up as a deposit, then using that four and a half times your gross salary, and whether that's a single person or as a joint couple, it at least gives you enough to start going looking at some properties and figuring out if you even like anything in that price packet. So I guess the only other thing to talk about is the fact, do you even bother using a broker or not? Now I've never used brokers. Again, it's because I am a massive numbers geek. So I liked doing all my own research. I knew what interest rates were up to. I knew what the spread was between short-term and longer-term interest rate fixes. So I've always been relatively up to speed and quite happy that I can give myself my own advice. I think there's two elements of the mortgage brokering industry that people sometimes can't get their head around or just don't like getting their head around is paying someone to do something for you When actually you are all more than capable of doing it yourself. There is no reason any of you need to use a broker. There's a couple of lenders out there that, well, there's quite a few lenders out there that won't deal with the public. They only deal with brokers, but there's a shit ton of other people out there that are more than happy. There's a handful that won't deal with brokers, only deal with customers. So there is nothing stopping you from doing it all yourself. If you're of that inclination, crack on. There's no downside to doing it yourself. However, a good broker should be able to get you the best deal out there, potentially better than you can find for yourself. But a good one, and by good, I mean me, because I'm not every other broker, so I can't really speak for them. But when I'm working with people, I'll look at the cost across the board. So I'll look at the initial arrangement fees. I'll look at any other costs involved. I'll look at the term that we're talking about. And I'll effectively work out what the genuine monthly figure will be rather than just going for the headline, you know, you might, you might walk into a nationwide or something and think, well, that one is the lowest percent, so that'll get me the best deal. I'll go for that one. I'll actually look at all the other options and see, well, paying more upfront, but then getting a lower interest rate, is that the best thing for you? Or are you much better? So when I'm buying cheap shitty places, I'm usually better off paying nothing upfront and having quite a high interest rate because the mortgage size itself the difference one percent a year you know sometimes works out to be forty quid a month, whereas paying two thousand pounds up front versus paying nothing that's a lot of forty quids a month before it catches up to it. So there's things like that that a good broker will do for you, but probably the more important one is actually figuring out what the best terms are for you. So do you want a fixed rate? Do you want a variable? do you want a discount? What time frame do you want that over? Do you want it over as short as possible, as long as possible? What are the pros and cons to both? What are the implications of things like early redemption charges? So there's quite a lot of other stuff that goes into it, which if everything I've just said, you're like, you've got an answer for, you know exactly what term, what type, all that stuff, then yeah, feel free to crack on and do it all yourself. The only reason you would then use a broker is because you've got better shit to do with your time you can't be bothered doing all of the running around the research and all that stuff if you'd rather not do it and you haven't got the time inclination or the knowledge or the background or whatever then a broker even though they might charge you some money up front it's probably going to work out in your best interest to do that now there's a bunch of them out there that don't charge anything so that's always an option but with them as with everything, human nature, if they're getting paid by the lender, which pretty much all brokers do, you've just got to bear in mind that maybe, I'm not saying they will, but maybe they'll be tempted to put you towards something that pays them the best commission. Now, technically they can't do that because we're all managed and regulated by the financial conduct authority, so we can't do shit like that. But human nature, some brokers are a bit dodgy, so it's something to be aware of at least. So that was really, but it is very much a case of whatever works best for you. You can always test how good a broker is by talking to them about interest rates and not just what has happened, but what do they think will happen and what time frame do they think it'll happen in and the logic behind it. So if someone just says, oh, well, interest rates have stayed, blah, 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 or they've gone up and down, whatever, if all they're doing is regurgitating what's happened in the past, well, that's not much fucking use. You could have Googled that and found out yourself. If they come back with, oh, well, we think blah, blah, blah will happen. Interest rates will rise by half a percent in the next X months. Okay, cool. Why? And actually get dig into the reasons behind it. If all they're doing is reading from a script that somebody else has done, yeah, just be a little bit dubious about that. Now, do you really know, need to know the ins and outs of all this stuff? Maybe, maybe not. I just think if I'm going to pay someone money and it's going to be for pretty much the biggest amount of money I'm ever going to borrow, then... I want to make sure I'm doing it properly. So that's why I became a broker, to be honest. I'm my own broker nowadays. And I do give myself a rather large discount. But if you ever do need a mortgage, then feel free to get in touch. In fact, fuck it. If you do mention the fact that you heard this on the podcast or any of the other random things that I do online, I'll give you a bit of a discount to my normal fee. So yeah, no excuse for not using me as a broker now. And on that overly generous note, I think I'll bugger off. Stay financially savvy, people. Ta-ta. So you just survived and hopefully enjoyed The Money Shot from Damien Fogg. If you just can't help yourself and you want even more, head over to theepinvestor.com forward slash podcast for the show notes, links to whatever shit he just talked about in this episode, possibly some exclusive content about cool finance stuff and even maybe a free pony.